Good morning, welcome. Today's Chumash portion, third portion of Vayikra, chapter 2, verse 7. We're learning about the different types of meal offerings which were brought as burnt offerings for people who not only could they not afford an animal, they couldn't afford a cow or a bull or a sheep or a goat. They couldn't even afford a pigeon. They couldn't even afford a baby pigeon. They were in a state of dire financial stress. So what they could afford is some flour. So we're learning about the various combinations of meal offerings. And here comes the last of five combinations. We learned about plain flour, olive oil with a little frankincense. We learned about various mixtures where you take the oil and the flour, mix it together like a dough, and you bake it. We learned, and there are two types. We learned about a meal offering on the griddle, like a grill. And today we're going to learn about the southern deep fry. What if your meal offering is a deep fry meal offering, or as he says here, a stewing pan? Well, but we know you go into a restaurant, they give you French fries. It's in a deep fryer where the oil sits for seven years. Sailas Bashem and Teyoset should be made of the finest flour in oil. Seven, says Rashi, what is a marcheshes? Klihu Migdash. A marcheshes is a vessel in the holy temple. Omoik, it's very deep. Being that it's deep, the oil gathers together. So the fire does not consume the oil because there's so much oil. On the griddle, on the grill, the fire consumes the oil quickly because the oil doesn't gather. But in a deep fry, the oil doesn't get consumed so easily. The fikah, therefore, mincha, the ingredients of the meal offering, which are prepared in it, they whisper, they vibrate, they sizzle. That's why they used to call this the sizzler. This was the sizzler meal offering. That was the meal offering if you don't have a lot of time and you don't have a lot of money. Just kidding. Okay. Verse uh, 8, And you shall bring the meal offering, which is made of these things. The ingredients are always the same. Flour, olive oil, and some frankincense. All of this is brought to Hashem. What is the process? What is the ritual? And the donor owner brings it close to the Kohen. And he brings it, he offers it to the altar. One of the above five, we learned five different variables. The last one was the deep fry. The donor owner will bring it close to the Kohen. And the Kohen will bring it close to the altar. What side of the altar? Remember we said that there are different offerings that are brought to different sides of the altar. He brings it to the southwest corner of the altar. Like I said a couple of days ago, 
that the Southwest also has an airline. Verse 9. Now, what's the ritual? The Kohen takes off this meal offering. It's memorial part. And causes it to smoke on the altar. He takes, as we learned yesterday, a couple days ago, a handful of the flour and oil, or of the mixture, or whatever it is, and causes it to smoke on the altar. This is a fire offering. It brings a sweet aroma to Hashem, as we learned earlier, again and again, what is the aroma that Hashem has? What is the joy, the pleasure, the nachas that he has, that he commands, and despite the fact that it doesn't make sense to us, why would God need to smell burnt meat or burnt fowl or burnt uh, dough? Uh, the answer is, because he commanded us to, and if we follow his commandments, it gives him nachas. That's the explanation that Rashi underscores from the oral law again and again and again. Nine. This is a handful. Now, what happens to the rest? You're only offering a handful. Ten. The balance of this meal offering, one of belongs to Aaron and his sons. They get to eat it. And we talked about this yesterday. They cannot take it home and eat it. They can only eat it in the holy temple courtyard because Kedush Kadoshim, it's holy of holies. It's not holy. Holy, we learned yesterday, the Kohen gets to take it home for dinner and shares it with his immediate family. Holy of holies, the Kohen can only consume it in the courtyard and he can't share it with his family. Meishe Hashem of the fire offerings of Hashem. Now comes one of the most central, fundamental teachings of the laws of sacrifices. 11. Kol Hamincha. Every meal offering, Asher Takribu Hashem, which you will offer to Hashem, Lo Teose Chometz, may not be made out of Chometz. Chometz is that which we can't use on Pesach. Leavening. Why not? The answer is, because the law is that with that other than several exceptions, which we're going to talk about, all leavening, all chametz, the chol dvash and any sweet stuff, which he refers to here as honey, but it doesn't mean honey, it means fruit nectar, leisaktidu mimenu, you may not smoke on the altar of it, isha, a fire offering Lashem to Hashem. There are two ingredients which by and large may not be brought on the altar. And they are chametz, any leavened foods, and dvash, any naturally sweetened, fruit-sweetened foods. And we'll learn the reasons why. Eleven, the chol dvash, kol mesikas pri kruya dvash. Rashi says we don't mean literally honey, but we mean any fruit extract. So, you know, you can have something sweetened with grape juice, with apple juice. Uh, juices will sweeten. Not kosher, not good. Why not? So here we have a very famous Balaturim who tells us the rule from the oral law. You may not make it out of leavening. This is very appropriate as we approach the Pesach season. 
because the evil inclination is reminiscent of leavening. What does leavening do? It rises. It says, me, 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 me. Leavening represents arrogance. Matzah represents the opposite, humility. You can't approach the altar with arrogance. Arrogance is the antithesis of the altar. The altar is the antithesis of arrogance. That's why we, by and large, do not use leavening, because the evil inclination is leavening. Evil inclination is always blowing himself up as an arrogant me. And for this reason as well, says the Balaturim, the Torah also warns us regarding fruit nectar. Why? Because the Yetzirah is also sweet. The Yetzirah is an expert to say, take it, it's sweet, it's delicious, it's fantastic, don't worry about it. And the Yetzirah is a master salesman telling you it's sweet, it's fantastic, you're going to enjoy it, don't worry about it. Therefore, because the Yetzirah is arrogant like leavening, sweet like the nectar of fruit, we don't have, by and large, these two ingredients on the altar, again, with certain very limited exceptions. Now, we talk about some of these exceptions, 12. What can you bring, as Rashi says, of these two ingredients? Number one is korban reishis, the offering of the first fruits. You may bring them to Hashem, the first fruits of the year. But they don't go up on the altar. Rashi gives us some illumination here. What can you bring from leavening? What can you bring from sweet fruit nectar? The offering of the first fruits. What's that? The season begins in spring. Spring, Pesach, we have the Omer, but that's not what we're talking about. Here we're talking about On Shavuos, you bring the two breads from wheat, and that is leavening. They shall be baked as leavening. The Torah says this in chapter 23. And then you have the gift of the first fruits. Which comes from fruit. It's brought to the Beis HaMikdash. The first fruits, including figs and dates, and all of the other fruits which Israel has been praised for. These are fruit. These are leavening. These are exceptions of items that are brought as gifts to the Beis HaMikdash, but by and large, the message in verse 11 holds that you don't bring leavening and you don't bring fruit nectar. This is a general rule. So by and large, you could say that the altar was kosher for Pesach all year round. Now, there's another central fundamental law, and that is the salt law. And salt has a tremendous amount of symbolism in Jewish life. That's why to this day we dip our bread, we dip it three times in salt. 
every sacrifice of your meal offering must be seasoned with salt. You've got to put salt on it. You shall not hold back. The salt, which is a covenant with God, from your meal offering. Every offering in the Holy Temple must be offered with salt. Salt, salt, salt. How many times do you have in verse 13? Salt, three times. That's one of the reasons we dip our bread three times. Salt, salt, salt. The whole korban minchoscha bamelach, timlach, melach, takriv melach, three times. Melech, melach bris, shabris krusala melach. Hashem caused a covenant to be entered into with salt. From the first six days of creation. What happened? There was a revolution. Hashem separated the lower waters from the upper waters and he wanted the earth to float on it and the waters went on strike. And they said, what are we, chopped liver? We want to be part of uh, the important events too. So God says, I promise you, I promise you lower waters, that you will be likrav offered by Mizbeach on the altar, bimelech, with the salt, sea salt. The salt comes from the sea. That's, we know what they say. Why, uh, why, why is the ocean so salty? Because it has a lot of herring in it. That's what they taught me when I was a kid. Venis, I was in New Jersey. I can't help it. God also told the water, don't worry, we'll pour you on Sukkot. There'll be the water libation. So that's the covenant that God entered into with the water and the salt. Therefore, there is salt on every sacrifice. The burnt offering of cattle and fowl. All animals, all holy things. You never bring a sacrifice without salt. The Balaturim brings down here that the reason the word salt is mentioned three times is because they salt things in, th in three places. First of all, in the storehouse of salt, they put some salt on. On the ramp, they put some salt on. On the altar, they put some more salt on to make sure there's enough salt. Takriv melach says the Balaturim that these two words, takriv melach, have the numerical value of zeyavi melach mishal tzibur. The salt has to be communal salt. The salt has to be owned by the community. And again, the spirituality of salt, just to give you some insight, I'll share a famous teaching with you, a famous story. That there was one of the, uh, I think it was one of the wise men of Athens came over to one of the rabbis and uh, said to one of the rabbis, what happens if salt loses its preservative strength? Salt preserves. Salt is a preservative. What happens if the salt can no longer preserve? What's going to happen? That's the question he asked. The intent behind the question was, that the Torah is compared to salt. Torah preserves the Jewish people. What happens if the salt no longer preserves? What happens if the salt becomes old? It doesn't work anymore. 
truth of the matter is that salt always works. You know, we don't even need that much salt to work. Salt works in small volume. I'll never forget the, one of the most wonderful stories I've ever heard is this guy walks into a small country store and he sees a whole wall of salt. And he turns to the guy, to the proprietor, and he says, wow, you must sell a lot of salt. And the proprietor says, I don't sell a lot of salt. The guy who sold this to me, he sells a lot of salt. <laughs> you don't need that much salt. Salt <laughs> is a preservative. What happens, says the heretic from Athens, if salt becomes dysfunctional salt, needs a therapist. Salt doesn't work anymore. What happens if Judaism stops working? So the wise man said to him, you take the salt and you place it in the afterbirth of a mule. And then it will have its strength and vigor and vitality restored. So the guy says, aha, gotcha. Mules don't reproduce. They don't have afterbirths. He says, gotcha. Salt doesn't lose its strength. What is the explanation? Lucy explained it to me. The explanation is a very powerful one. This guy was saying, what happens if Judaism doesn't work anymore? So the rabbis told him, so what are you going to do? You're going to replace it with this mishigas and this bogue, and you're going to change Judaism to this, and it's going to become this, and this shtick, and this mishigas, and it's going to be an ever-evolving Judaism. And ritual committees will decide what to do and what not to do. Do you need Shabbos? Do you need film? Do you need circumcision? You know what that is? That's a mule. A mule is something that evolves in an abnormal way from crossbreeding. Now, mules are very powerful animals. They're very exciting. You want to own a mule, it'll take you up the hill with your load, but it'll never reproduce. You can't produce a second generation. Mules don't reproduce. When you change and evolve Judaism, it's wonderful, it's exciting, it makes all the papers, but the kids don't follow. They either become more religious or they assimilate. That's just the way it goes. Said the guy so many years ago, the rabbi to the Chochem of Athens, he said, if salt, which is Torah, stops, stops preserving, place it in the afterbirth of a mule. What do you mean? There is no after... Ah, salt never stops preserving. It just means you didn't put the salt on properly. That's some of the symbolism of salt. This is not the setting for long speeches, but that's just to get your attention. Verse 14. And if you will offer, or when you will offer, a meal offering of first fruits to Hashem. And Rashi says, this is the Omer which is brought the day after Pesach. Oviv of fresh corn. It doesn't mean corn as we refer to it today, but it means grain. Koli ba'esh, parched with fire. Geres, caramel, groats of fresh ear. What we are talking about is barley. Takri, you shall offer es minchas bikurecha, the meal offering of your first fruits. Rashi. Takri, harayim b'shamesh bloshin ki, when? Sharayin zerushuz, this is not an option. This is the Omer, which is obligatory. The Torah speaks about the Omer, which always comes in the spring. 
when the grain is ripening. I mean, it always comes from barley. Here it says the word oviv. The barley was in the ear. And oviv, oviv is what we call a gzeira shovel. When the Torah uses two identical words, you can learn certain laws from one setting to the other if it is part of the tradition from Mount Sinai. It's dried over the fire. Through an iron tube for roasting grain. Otherwise, you can't grind it because it's moist. So you have to dry it before you grind it. Ground while it's still moist. Breaking, grinding. He grinds it in a millstone. Grist grinders. Carmel, says Rashi, while the husk is still full, the grain is moist, and full in its stalks. Therefore, the fresh ears of corn are called carmel. Fresh ears of corn in its snack. And actually, carmel is a word for anything that grows. The famous carmel wine gets its name from this verse as the grape grows. 15, and you shall place upon it oil, and place upon it frankincense, because it's a meal offering. Every meal offering needs olive oil and frankincense. 16, the coin shall burn its memorial part. From the groats and the oil, with all the frankincense, similar to the earlier meal offerings. This is the Omer meal offering. Isha, a fire offering, Lashem. So here we have the special Omer offering, end of today's Chumash portion.